Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Author News Weekly. I'm Roland Denzel, indestructible author, and I'm joined by my friends, Pippa, Jim, and Nick. And we are here to talk about the greatest author in publishing news of the week. Overthink it so you don't have to, so you can use your brain pan and brain space to get back to writing. Yeah. How's everybody today? Good. Yeah. I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 I hear you. I'm alive. All right. I think one thing that could make us all feel better is if maybe one of our books won an award. What do you think? Uh, okay. There's some I'll, I'll withhold judgment until the end, but I'm leaning okay. toward no. That wouldn't make me feel anything at all. Okay. It depends. What if? <laughs> what if? I have a what, whole black sludge-filled machine for a heart. Yeah. So <laughs> even if you won the Pulitzer Prize. Which, according to this article we're going to talk about in a second, is now open to indie authors. But is this the Pulitzer or the, is it something different called Pulitzer? Is it like a Pew Space sci-fi novel? I don't know. How do you all pronounce it? I've always heard it Pulitzer. Pulitzer. But now Pulitzer. I want to start a sci-fi one called the Pew Pulitzer. <laughs> I'm sure it's not technically incorrect. It's just like gross incorrect. Like Pulitzer. Pew. It just huh. sounds weird i think we should start nominating a whole bunch of nick's books for like british awards <laughs> there is the british book awards which is yeah just very in the commonwealth book prize that has to be british right that's not an american thing i don't know what would let him see the more winning it or losing it you know, oh, i'm being like those brits are holding those me down i don't have a chance because i'm not british but on the other hand, if you want, oh, this, I can't believe they, they think I think this is valuable. <laughs> now I doubt myself. The Brits like it. <laughs> How's my Nick impersonation? Spot on. Spot on. Nailed it. Solid. Great. I have my own take on, on awards, but I'd love to hear, do you even think it's worth trying to win an award? And, and if so, what would be, the, what type of award would it be worth entering for, et cetera? Let's start with Jim. Sure. I've entered several awards contests. It has, it's been a while. I don't do it anymore. I think the last book I did submitted for an award was that the primary target that Nick and I wrote together. That was the last one. But in the first few years of my author career, I entered awards contests pretty regularly. I've spent probably four or $500 on admissions fees over time. And did, and I've won a couple of those contests. Did it catapult me into stardom? No, yes. oh. not at all. Oh. <laughs> Nick disagrees with my fame level. <laughs> That's um, how you got to where you were now, but apparently yeah. you're mediocre all by yourself, aren't you? Author, <laughs> and a, author and a filmmaker. Does winning a book award really do anything for you? Not really, but it really felt good. Sure. It felt good, and it felt good to tell people that I'm an award-winning author and be true, not just be fibbing. But did it do anything for me? No, but I did like it. I'm going to let Pippa go in a second, but I'm going to say that if it gave you, as an author, if it gave you a reason that made gave you the confidence to share it a few more times, 
on social media and it got a couple of your potential readers to click over, like maybe that was enough. Yeah, maybe so. snowball from there. You got to, yeah. the dung beetle starts with the smallest nugget. Maybe the problem was I never put any of those little JPEG stickers on my book cover. That's really what, Kate. That's yeah. what I should I've have actually done. Not it's because you have to pay for them. <laughs> no, I just put one on mine, but it looks like an award. But if you zoom in, it just says forward by Jay Falconer. <laughs> <laughs> but I specifically made it look like an award. It's got like a little medallion. <laughs> it's an experiment. Look, I'm out here doing these okay, experiments. Before, with you authors, before okay? Nick digs himself a bigger hole, Pippa, why don't you uh, tell us about your idea about awards? I remember back when the first hacks were going around for however one could get onto the New York Times bestseller lists and USA Today and all of that. And someone was just saying, yeah, it, it, it can help to be able to put that on your covers. And But the thing is, that used to be a lagging indicator, not a, an advertising prop. It was like that was something that you got after having put out a certain number of books and risen through the ranks and all of that. And so I, I don't know. I try to remember that generally awards fall into the category of like, there are ways to optimize how you can get awards. It would feel good to get some awards. I'm not going to lie. I would absolutely love to get the Hugo or the Nebula or anything like that, but I don't think that's going to happen in short order. Or maybe one of the bigger ones. Oh yeah. Like, the Pew Pulitzer. <laughs> Pulitzer, yes. The Pew Pew Pulitzer. We do need to have a sci fi award called the Pulitzer. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I really want to make this. Might as well. Might Nick's as well. checking to see if the URL is available. Yeah, uh, GoDaddy.com. <laughs> Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. I own it. Uh, Ooh, let's uh, <laughs> do you ever feel like, you, even though we're recording and we're not streaming, do you ever feel like, oh, I better hurry because people are listening? <laughs> people are, the Pulitzer will come and slap me with a season desist. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I agree with what you guys say. I don't, I honestly, I just, I think there's, so there's been a lot of politicization of some of those awards like Nebula and Hugo with the CIFWA organization imploding. There's some things like that, that make me want to steer clear of even associating with those groups a little bit, which includes the awards. But yeah, I feel it's the same way I feel about the honorary doctorate that I'm still waiting on. Like, I'd love to have one. I just don't want to go get one. So all these awards, like if they were free to join and I had an assistant who was submitting for me, then sure, I will accept an award. But I just, yeah, I don't find the net benefit to be better than just spending that time doing literally anything else. That's true. There's definitely, there's a lot of, especially with the sci-fi ones right now, there's so much harassment against a whole bunch of the authors that I would not want to be put on the radar of a whole bunch of the people that are, oh God, it's another woman. Yeah, exactly. And then, and I'm not not (laughs) making a comment on which way is right or wrong, which side it is to be on. I'm just saying that you will inadvertently be put on a side. You'll be lumped into some. You'll be in the firestorm just by inviting the scrutiny of winning or being a finalist in one of these awards. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, I just don't want that. I have no interest in being a poster child for some politicization of somebody else's issue. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking down this list. It's on selfpublishingadvice.org, which is the Alliance of Independent Authors, and. There's a lot of them that are like, a lot of them I haven't heard of, really. A lot of them are, I have. And some of them are seem like like the Kitschies seems like a fun name for a prize. So I think there's some advantages, like just like fun things you can do. Fun things gives you fun things to talk about. But I think the key thing is that do your readers care, right? 
or would your readers even recognize it? Because there are some awards right. out there. If you so if you write science fiction or fantasy, like maybe you, and you had the Nebula Award on there, it might be good. Oh, yeah. But that's a really hard one. To, that's a really hard one to win. So yeah, kind of. I'm interested like, in this, uh, the Board Gaze Award. I don't know what that's about, but that sounds <laughs> like something to look into. I just, My, just like, I definitely. Am oh, I pronouncing it right, that. Roland? Why are you laughing? Is it not what? I had never pronounced. I've read it because it's. <laughs> I had never. I never pronounced it in my head. But that's how Board it's, gaze energy. It's Irish. Irish. It's <laughs> Irish. So I think it's like maybe some sort of is that Board Gaelic? Gaelic. <laughs> I don't know what that it is, but the way it's pronounced is probably <laughs> board gaze. It's like we need like the gazing off into middle distance award because that would be like a good one to. For those deep people in the navel gazing award, whatever <laughs> we come up with, we can come up with our own. The Jalock Prize, yeah, charge seventy five dollars per entry. There was a pretty good ex- explanation in here about why they charge, and some of them are nominations only, right? And like you can't submit yourself; somebody would have to nominate you. And there's the ones where like either you or a publisher would submit, and uh, a, a, at least a small entry fee. Makes it so where they're not going to say, "Oh, here's our here's fifty of our books. Please go through all of them." And but instead, they have to like they got to do the work. And I think that's also why that sometimes there's a lot of paperwork for these things. It's they're filters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I remember submitting to something long, long ago. I don't remember what it was when in my career I did it. I know it was early, early on, but I was like, "Okay, what do you like to? Just, why don't you guys just here's the link to the." Amazon page, go check it out if you want to buy it. That's probably the first step. If you don't want to buy it, then it's probably not going to win your award. And so I'm like, why do I have to fill out all this crap? Upload the cover, make sure it's 4,800 by 8,000 pixels. And I'm like, just go. It exists already online. Like it's a book. That's the whole point. Go look at it. So the time commitment of submitting all to all these things, I'm like, I can't imagine doing that more than once for every book yeah. that I write. Yeah. So I think it would really come down to, do you think your book has a particularly good chance of winning this award? Would it be important for your readers? And is it a cost effective, both in time and in money in order to submit? Listen, and board or- gaze, if you're listening to this, I've got some I've got some <laughs> books for you. <laughs> you were the target demographic I had in mind when I wrote yeah. my <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. For those of you <clears throat> not reading the article along with us, it's spelled B-O-R-D space G-A. <clears throat> sorry, with a with a Accent aigu, I think. Aigu is that's yeah. the French, but it's, it's for the uh, Irish word. Yeah, I, I, I don't accent. know an Irish. It's an word. accent mark. G A with an accent, sort of, sort of an accent mark. I S board gaze is how all of us Irish people here are deciding. That's how we are going to say it. There's like yeah. one Irish guy listening. He's like, oh, what have you done to my language? Yeah, my Irish grandmother <laughs> is turning in her grave right now. <laughs> David Godfrey is listening, going, what in the world? <laughs> like, how can I submit to this? What in tarnation? <laughs> Do my books qualify? Yeah. Yeah, so I think we've, that's pretty good. I have won one award. One of my books won one, more, one award. And it's the only, our, my publisher submitted us and we won. So we were super happy. Are you but no, no. Okay, cool. This is an actual co- publishing company that did it and everything. And, but you did have, then once you win, then there's like a package that they, like, they want you to, here's like for $500, you can oh, get these yeah, certificates get and uh-huh. stickers yeah. that you can put out on, you can put on your physical copies of your book, right? And, and then like they, you can get the PNG or the JPEG so you can have your book cover designer mm-hmm. add it to future copies as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but 
like Jim said, it gave me some reasons to go out and share. And my, a lot of my listeners and readers, I had a podcast, listeners were, we heard back, congratulations. And I, we did see a slight spike in book sales the few days after we, uh, we started talking about it. By the way, Google so. Translate says that from Irish Gaelic, board gas is gas board. <laughs> so like a, like a, like a unusual chartreuse board. <laughs> All right, and now let's have a, a let's have a gentle transition to to the next topic, which has been a little bit controversial in the fact that people make a huge deal out of some people make a huge deal out of it. Other people roll their eyes, and other people don't even know what it is. And this is I'm talking, of course, not about blockchain specifically, but about NFTs. So the good e-reader has announced or wrote a little little piece about NFT, but a new company that is enabling NFT books, which, and I think it's interesting. There's going to be a reading app, a listening app, in case you make an NFT version of an audiobook, And they're even going to be linking with some physical products so you can really do some cool bundles and stuff. What's your take on this, Nick? I like it. I think, I think we've passed the line where... We're like, I wonder if NFTs are going to be a thing in the future. I think we're past that. I think they're going to be here to stay. However, I think the landscape for this stuff is still basically the Wild West. We hear NFT and we think shitty JPEGs getting sold for millions of dollars. And that is the analog is the World Wide Web circa 95, 96, where when I was one year old, when you get on the internet and it was like this wasteland of shitty websites and in the very beginnings of e-commerce and most of them were scams. And it was this, it obviously the web is here to stay, but there were so many pundits who were like, yeah, the internet is just a fad. I think NFTs are the same way. I think using the blockchain as a way to decentralize and encrypt the next level is to transfer assets. Um, I think is a technology that's here to stay. I do, sorry. The last thing I'll say is there's a comment on this article where the guy says the only way this will work is if uh, for reselling books specifically is if the second and third and on sale of this book is at a discount. So if they can figure that part out for the store or you buy it the first time brand new and then the next person to buy that NFT from the owner of that NFT gets it for a discount, then I think that could be something interesting. Next, next victim. I keep going with the, as someone said, I don't think I I have, Nick has changed my mind to the point about where he says like how this is going to be used is going to keep growing, right? People are going to come up with things, uses for NFTs that no one thought of at the time. But I continue to believe, as someone said, if this was going to be a huge thing, porn would be using it. Like if there's a new technology that comes out and porn doesn't just like hop on the bandwagon or use it, it's not a great sign. <laughs> Do you know that porn is not using it? That I don't. I feel like I would have heard like that would be a new you would, have known. you would have known porn circles. Like <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest, I would have no idea if this was something that the porn like, industry was using. Uh, I never even considered that it would that be an interesting thing to use for porn. Stuff. I feel like we'd hear about NFTs and porn. I just the internet's a big scary place, Pippa. Almost positive <laughs> porn is using NFTs in some way. Hmm. And it's not like there's like big porn, like the, there's some like conglomerate capitalistic industry that's like controlling all of porn. Like it's sure, some Nick. dude on a Tumblr blog can be selling a pornographic NFT and that's actually I think there's like suddenly, suddenly Nick goes strangely defensive. Look, I make my money how I make my money. Okay, everyone just <laughs> leave me alone. 
<laughs> I'm yeah, I'm gonna just yeah. completely tank my Google algorithms and search for NFTs. Jim? I'm not really knowledgeable about NFTs. I know that readers are notorious. Readers are notoriously slow to adopt new technologies. I would expect readers to be some of the last to come around to NFTs. But I don't know. We'll see. The technology is great. I love the blockchain and NFTs is great technology. And I hope that it becomes standardized and not so much like BitTorrent stuff, which BitTorrent was amazing technology, but was demonized so much that it never really became mainstream. And so I hope this becomes mainstream and doesn't end up being treated like BitTorrent where people, enough people use it for nefarious things that it never quite breaks into the mainstream, like porn. I don't know. I don't know either. (laughs) Pippa? It's a bit torn. Uh, apparently, what'd, you, what'd you find, Pepper? Did your computer explode? <laughs> apparently, there's, there's like this whole thing about including, it's not like a wiki how, but just like guide to buying your first porn NFT. Hmm, there you go. <laughs> Is this different from buying other NFTs somehow? I, I think you all have some excellent points. I think that. And one of the things I've been seeing on in my author groups is that, like, why would readers want yet another thing, like another app or something like that? They just want to buy the thing where they're going to buy the thing. But that comes later. Like, NFTs are a special purpose thing. It's, It's almost like I am an author. I'm making something unique that certain people will want to get. And if you want to get it, this is how you're going to read it. You're going to read it in this other app or something like that. And the people who want that, they won't care as long as the app reading experience is still good because they want to have this unique thing. And so it's the things that go along with it being an NFT that make it valuable at this point. Like maybe later on, the blockchain will be in there to come so you can resell used eBooks at a lower cost, like Nick said. But right now, I think the value is just getting people familiar with it. And I think the more high ticket customized items are the things that are important to to bring that to the front. And, and with books, there are certain ways you can do it because you can add, you can bundle things together, you can add, so it's almost like you own this thing. And you can't just share because unlike because you can't copy paste the entire thing. At this point, yeah, so I think there's some I think there's some interesting things that are happening with it and I think it's but right now it's a very specialized thing for a very specialized audience. Similar to how Kickstarter is too. Like a lot of people said well, nobody's going to buy a book from Kickstarter because they want to read it from Amazon. Well, but if you want a special edition, yeah. you want a special edition or you want a bundle or if you want a different cover, you might still buy it from Kickstarter. One of the things that if you read deep take a deep dive into this thing, there's they're partnering this company. It's called book.io or books.io. They, they're going to have a, an app, but also they're going to be able to, they're going to be working with Ingram, the print on demand print company, print book company. So you could do like a one-off, like maybe a special cover, like a unique cover just for one person or a print book with unique content. So you would have a, it will still be print on demand, but within 48 hours, it's going to arrive at your door where customized just to you. So that's an interesting thing. So it's not an NFT in the sense that like you, there may be some record that you bought it or that you originally owned it. Now you have a physical item. You can sell it however you want or lose it. Yeah, I do find it interesting that Ingram is behind the initial seed round for this company. Yeah. <clears throat> they can wait. 
And I think a while back, Amazon mentioned that they're going to have, that they're considering NFT in their platform for their book stuff, but also looking into blockchain payments and tracking things. I can see once it's a, there's a big enough thing that other people might, like big vendors like them, might really jump into the mix. And then regular readers would just be buying books. Books, yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Let's jump into something that's a little bit more grounded let's say, in the reality of today, right? Not that in, not that book awards weren't a big deal, but, but let's talk about editing, specifically editing for indie authors. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of new authors who put out books that are poorly edited, some that spend way too much money and get the books professionally edited, perhaps more editing than, editing than they need. I don't know. But I think Sarah Fraps, who wrote this article, talked about the value of editing and investing in your career. What's your take on editing and the role of editors and editing software, et cetera, as far as an indie author goes? I think in when it comes to the type of editing, like copyright, copy editing, proofreading, that sort of stuff, there are two kinds of authors. There are authors who are good at grammar and authors who are not so good at grammar and Chances are you, listener of this podcast, you already know which kind of author you are. And if you're the kind of author who's bad with grammar, you should always use a professional editor. Get a good one, use a professional editor. If you're really good with grammar, you can probably get away with using Grammarly, ProWritingAid, Hemingway, AutoCrit, some combination of those. But the sticky wicket is that you have to be good enough at grammar to know when to ignore those auto things. <laughs> then it's not so much like that you, you don't know the rules. You know the rules, you just didn't apply them. And the those things catch them and you go, oh, okay, I missed that one. That one's actually incorrect. I don't like the way that correction sounds. I'm going to ignore that. You have to be able to do all that. And if you can get away with you know that, when it comes to developmental editing, I don't really know. I only had a developmental editor once and he gave me one note on the whole book. So I was like, was kind of a, <laughs> why did I pay for this? I did. It was my traditional, it was my book I had with Kindle press and they paid for the developmental editor. And he sent me one note and I was like, I hope, I don't wonder what they paid you. Yeah, really. <laughs> he said, change this one thing. And then you're like, he had a, quite a racket going on. Cause I, I worked with Amazon publishing before too. And I don't, they're pretty hands off. Yeah. So they probably didn't even know. And yeah, he's probably out there just make a broad note and then send it off and get my $5,000 and move on to the next one. Yep. A huge amount of pressure, at least in the traditionally published circuit where editors are like, if I make a whole bunch of changes and then it bombs, that is the, so if I'm the editor and I don't make a bunch of changes and we get the next Harry Potter I'm still the editor on it, but if it doesn't do well, <laughs> was it going to be the next Harry Potter? And now it's not. So apparently that's been one of the catch 22s going on in trad pub lately, but that is hearsay. I like what Jim said. It's probably not a requirement for every single author on the planet to go through a human editor, especially today when we do have quite good artificial intelligence and programmatic software that can do a lot of this stuff. I, in running Conundrum Publishing, and Jim knows he's been on some of these before, but we do what's called a roundtable, which is, in our mind, it's basically taking the place of a developmental edit. And it's not a one-for-one. 
I think with a very good developmental editor, like I've had some very good dev editors before with my TradPub books and, and they absolutely made the book better and they absolutely gave me feedback and criticism that was very helpful. But I don't think any of that helped to sell the book. Now, at this point in my career, I already knew how to tell a story and I had the income to prove that I could do that at least enough to, for my audience. I don't ever think I'm the best writer on the planet, but I know that I'm good enough at it to sell thrillers in this genre. I know how to put that together. The developmental edit, if I were to pay out of pocket the <clears throat> five, six, seven thousand, whatever it would be, it's a lot. <laughs> First of all, I would never be able to afford it. But second of all, I don't know that would improve the book enough or in, in such a way as to make it sell better. So what I'm getting at is I think if you are at the point where you're new in your career, getting a developmental editor who's good and is vetted could be very helpful. The copy editing, the line editing, I think a lot of that can be done with software. And I think a lot of it can be done with a beta pre-reader team, arc team, whatever you want to call it. But if you're later on in your career, if you've done this enough and you know that you've got a fan base that I'm not saying they're going to read everything you write. So just write crap. But at some point you can stop paying that person because the marginal improvement, while it will improve the book, the story, I don't think I can make the case that it would make it sell more copies because of that. I can see that. I, don't know. I think there's a good, uh, I think early on in an author career, it might be like more valuable to have a developmental edit. And that, so you can see, I think just maybe going through the process at least once is maybe assuming you, you get a good one. It would actually be better if they said, here's what you were, you can improve. If they, if you get one that it's, that's good, then you're like, oh, was it actually good? Or did you have an experience, you know, where the, somebody just went, oh, it's a book. It's fine. I'm in a hurry. I'm going to say this is okay. But so I write nonfiction or like my published stuff so far is nonfiction. And my first book, we did a, had a developmental edit and we got some really good feedback. And it was the kind of thing that has stuck with me for subsequent books. So I found it valuable because it was like an investment early on that has made my other books better. So I plan to do something similar. I don't know. I'll do, I don't know if you'll call it a developmental edit, but with my urban fantasy, I plan to get somebody knowledgeable to look through that. And I also think that like later on, once you have a fan base, a lot of us use beta readers and beta readers are pretty good at saying, hey, this story doesn't really lost here it went there's no ups and downs and no so the kind of things that a developmental editor might see they may not use the same terminology but they're going to tell you that there's something wrong with your book and where it is and not mine, man. give you enough to... my beta team sucks they're always like yeah this is great you know what it is because they're made up awesome. readers it's going to be amazing and then the book comes out and they're like one star this fucking blows so many typos in this and i'm like that's your job you're supposed to fix those for you <laughs> So if you have those, if you have my beta team, then I just want to kill yourself. I think that's indicative of the kind of readers that would read your book being your beta readers. Probably a bunch of yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do agree. I do. <laughs> yeah. But I'm pretty sure none of my beta readers listen to this podcast, so I think we're safe. Yes, this is for authors. This podcast. So let's see. <laughs> I do agree a lot more. Like the writing aid and grammarly have both become so good but like jim said it's really important to know you have to know the rules so know when you can pass them up yeah, because cool. sometimes it makes your stuff feel a little bit dry it's, that's just the way like short especially with if you're writing a fight scene or writing thrillers and you're yeah. having these short choppy sentences like the whole thing could light up 
with right. the Grammarly dashboard lights up and you're like, I did that on purpose. So if you just if you just click yes all through that, it's gonna take away the effect that you're looking for. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I'm joking yeah. about my beta team. If anybody is on my beta team, <laughs> I love you. Yes. Now there's just been there's been a couple people that I of course I'm not going to name my name, but I emailed them afterwards. I was like, you got the free book. You said you're on. There was no illusion. Like I told you what your job was. I was like, hey, this is a pre press. It hasn't gone through the final round of edit yet. I want you to read this. And they're like, oh great, this is good. And then they left a one star review because it was poorly edited. <laughs> and they did it twice in a row. And I was like, all right, you're done. Thanks. Fired. Yeah. Did they go back and fix the reviews? No. No, they didn't. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you're fired. I, I don't want that. Wow. But yeah, I was understandably a little bit out of shape. With that most of them are great. Though most of them get it. They're like, oh yeah, this isn't supposed to be perfect yet. I always so, try to shoot for ninety five percent good or perfect because I don't think a book is ever perfect. But if I feel like okay, no, this is this has got a lot of work to do before all the typos are gone. It's impossible to tell because if I knew where all the typos were, I would just get rid of them. <laughs> so like somebody was telling me the other day that like, yeah, the trad pub, they want, all, they want fewer than five typos per one typo per five pages. And I'm like, how do they know? Like, how do they know that? How do they get to up? Yep. That's enough. That's We're going to leave the rest of the typos in there because we found them all and they average one per five pages. I'm like, that seems like a lot. It mm. does seem like a lot, but it seems like such a stupid like metric too. It's impossible to measure. If you knew it was there, just <laughs> the food inspectors that are checking the peanut butter for, for one, one thumb per Pepsi can <laughs> per 100 Pepsi can. <laughs> Anytime I find a typo in a traditionally published book, it makes me so happy. It does. It does. I yeah. love those. I love them. Yep. One of my favorite yeah. things to do. Sometimes I buy books just to find them. One thing that Jim said earlier about, uh, like you get, you can get pretty good once you know the rules, you can get pretty good. But one thing that might be interesting is to run your book through Grammarly or something early on in your career, do the best you can, and then have that book line edit, whatever the, whatever level of editing will, it takes and see what comes back. Because it might, you could What if you get your an, oh, draft back, like before you put it into Grammarly? They fixed it. They take all the Grammarly things out and they just give it back to you as like your first draft. And you're like, oh my well, yeah, God, it would freaking Hemingway over here. I'm perfect. Yeah. Either way, I think it could, it's either going to confirm that you're as good as you think you are, or it's going to tell you that, oh, wow, I had an inflated sense of my skills at grammar. Impossible. And, Impossible. Yeah. Never yeah. going to happen. You can't, you don't have a door. There's no door big enough for your head, Nick. Nope. But. Nope. I had to take but the for the rest of you listeners out there, if you think you're an amazing at grammar and uh, and self editing, you know it might be worth challenging it. Even with a a sam I mean, getting a sample, and if that sample comes back and they find a lot of stuff, it might be worth paying for that editor to do a full edit of your book. Especially if it's the first book in a series, right? A deb something debut, something that is real that you want to make a great first impression because you want people to continue to read subsequent things. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's not important to get the later books edited, but it's not as critical because you're not making that first impression. Once you've got people hooked. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, this has been great. It's great hearing your lovely voices and here I get to see your faces every week on Author News Weekly. We'll be back next week 
But in the, in the meantime, let's let everyone know where they can find you and what you do. I'm on the internet. All Always. The time. Still. <laughs> you check to make sure. No, I Google myself. It's been a few minutes since I Googled myself. So I should probably do that. Yeah. Never know what they're saying about me. That's true. That was Nick, by the way. Nick Thacker, by the <laughs> way. I'm Jim Heskett, and I was just going to say, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you all to follow me on Instagram, and you didn't, and I'm really upset at you, so go follow me on Instagram. I don't have the app. I don't know, wouldn't know how to do that. The Insta what? Find me on TikTok. Well, I, can unfo- I can unfollow you so I can follow you again, if that makes you feel better, Jim. You want to see some movement. No. Let's get on OnlyFans. No, it's fine. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think all the authors already follow you. It's true. All of our listener. <laughs> All of our listener. Uh, and I'm Pippa. I write as Moira Katzen and Natalie Gray. And you can find me, well, on Amazon and then also usually on Twitter, which is sad. I wish you couldn't. <laughs> you, can make it so that you can make it so they can't. That's true. We could go there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm Roland Denzel. You can find me at indestructibleauthor.com. And if you're interested in my health and fitness wisdom, it's I'm so wise. You can find my books everywhere on my website, but also on Amazon. And I'll, I'm a wide author, so you can in both in not as wide as the shoulders of Nick, mm. but one day, one day. Okay. Got that Thank swimmer, you for joining us. Swimmer's torso and couch potato body. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the legs just have to trail behind you. That's, that's all they do. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to us for ramble and overthink the news this week on Author News Weekly. And we will be back next week with more of our wisdom. <laughs>